1: Let's dive into today's topic. Hey, welcome to the HR for Small Business podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Laws. Hey, if you haven't done so yet, please go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever they're calling it nowadays and give us a review. Five-star would be awesome. Just let us know how we're doing, what guests you've loved, anything like that. That'd be valuable feedback for us. We also have a survey. You can find it in the show notes and on the Zenium blog, and we just really appreciate your feedback. We're actually doing book drawings monthly for people who fill out a survey or leave an iTunes review and with the iTunes if you don't make your name clearly stated you can connect with me on LinkedIn and like screenshot it or, or do something like that so it was, so I know it's you and more chances to win I guess if you do it that way So on to today's episode today I interview Todd Davis he's the chief people officer at Franklin Covey. And he's got a new book coming out on November 7th called Get Better, 15 Proven Practices to Build Effective Relationships at Work. And I got to tell you, like I read this book and I was a, I've was been a huge fan of How to Win Friends and Influence People and The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And I felt like this book read a lot like those books, like where they're just very tangible takeaways and kind of step by step about what you need to do to build Great relationships and just work on yourself as a human being. I love this book. I, I, I really do feel like it's a book I would read multiple times. And I don't usually say that about a lot of books. So uh, I know I say every bo- <laughs> every book is great, especially on these podcasts, because I just get so immersed in them and I get to find little nuggets that I get to ask the authors about. But this one was pretty special. There's a lot of storytelling. I think you're going to relate to this quite a bit. And so I hope you enjoy the interview with Todd. Hey, Todd, it's so great to have you in the podcast. Welcome.
0: Thank you, Brandon. Great to be here.
1: So your book, Get Better, it's releasing on November 7th, and it outlines 15 practices to build relationships at work. And I want to go through a few of those concepts with you. I, I want to go in depth on a couple of them. And I'm not going to go over all of them. Obviously, we don't have time for that. And I really think people should go get your book. So <laughs> let's dive in. And the the first one, you your first chapter, wear glasses at work, you bring up this concept. And what I think you meant by that is that often people have this limiting belief in themselves or just a specific view of themselves. And so maybe it's brought on by what people say to them or just... Over time, they just have this this view of themselves, and whether it's dealing with people or you even brought up the story about somebody didn't think they were athletic, so running was like just totally not in their wheelhouse, so a marathon was out of the question. How limiting can this the specific view that they have the the glasses that they wear how how limiting to their growth can this be?
0: Yeah, thanks thanks for raising this this one first. This is practice one. Wear glasses that work and. For everything you just outlined it's practice one for a reason because the way we see things shapes everything else we do or or don't do you know to, to find how limiting can it be you know I, I remember the first very real set of glasses actual glasses i got i was in the second grade and and just to make the point here i remember putting those glasses on and for the first time in my life i could see the leaves up on the trees now you're probably wondering, Brandon, how blind were you? Well, I'm pretty <laughs> blind. And, and, you know, back then they didn't do all of the eye testing even in preschool like they do now. And so previous to this experience, I had seen this kind of green blob or mass up on the tree. And I honestly, uh, in second grade, I thought that's what everybody saw when they looked up on the trees. You know, and, I, and, and that's the point of wearing glasses that work. It's seeing things as they really are, not as you have convinced yourself mm. that they are. Whether it's you know seeing yourself a certain way or seeing other people, and so I had this whole world open up to me, thinking, "Oh wow, that's what was really there." Well, it's it's the same in our lives, whether it's in our businesses or in our personal lives. We have through experiences and assumptions convinced ourselves about many things that this is how they are. And this isn't to say question everything and, and never you know feel secure in anything because a lot of your assumptions or your beliefs are absolutely accurate for you, but there are many more that I find time and time again that that we have just Created and they, they are not factual, and they might have some resemblance to the truth, but they're they're not actual. And yet we've convinced ourselves that they are. Like I'm not athletic; there's no way I could run a marathon, or there's no way I'd put that person on, on my project. They don't; they're not organized, or they don't ever follow through. We sometimes convinced ourselves of things that aren't aren't actually true.
1: What role do other people play in how we see ourselves? Because I, I can think of situations where you know, something emotionally charged, you might say like, oh, you're stupid, or why why can't you just figure this out? Or or you, people say things that just they don't, you know, it's not an all the time thing. It's just in the moment. But yet, over time, those things take a toll on just how we see ourselves. So how, how do others play a role in this?
0: Yeah, absolutely. We, we're human beings, we are vulnerable, mm-hmm. every one of us. And I don't care how tough of an exterior you have built up to, to hide that fact. We're all the same inside and we're all vulnerable. And so that's why you see in so many parenting books, when young children are growing up, what you say to them, Mm -hmm. the feedback you give them shapes who they are. And so this is a real, this is a very real thing you're talking about. And wearing glasses that work is about finding the, finding the, the the power, if you will, inside yourself to step aside from those lenses you've been wearing, whether you shape them or whether, like you're saying, other people, in you're growing up here, you know, I was the last one. I always picked for the weird picking teams for the soccer team in elementary school, you know, probably because I couldn't see. But anyway, <laughs> you know, and picked last. And so did I Grow up thinking, well, man, you're so such a wimp. You're not athletic yeah. or whatever. And so it is, it is, and I'm no psychologist, but it is the, the opportunity to say, wait a minute, I am not shaped by just who people think I am. I know who I am inside, and I can I can choose to change, and I don't have to do that, but I can choose to change those lenses of that paradigm that I have of myself or that others have of me. So and it's a very real thing that you talk about that impacts every one of us.
1: I'm glad you brought up the parenting thing or just about how this is a re- very real thing for parents. I, I'm a parent of a five-year-old and a four-year-old, and they're, they're sponges, right? And I months back, I read Carol Dweck's book Mindset, Mm -hmm. and that book was just super enlightening to me, just about how you speak to your kids specifically about effort versus praise, and how you know if you you say to a kid, "Hey, you're smart," they may have this belief over time that, "Hey, I'm smart," and then they won't try very hard. Versus you praise the effort, then. They, they work on that. So I, I think like just what you say over time, especially as a parent, or as a manager, as anybody can just compound and and play a role in how people are, are thinking about themselves.
0: Uh, absolutely. A lot, a lot of pressure uh, as a parent, isn't there? Yeah, <laughs> and, so much. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought up both sides of it. You know, there's the side of it of us Saying, now wait a minute, why do I believe this about myself? Why do I see myself in this light or see myself this way? But then I'm really glad you brought up as a leader or even just a colleague, whether you're in a, in, in an official leadership position or not, realizing the power of your words and your observation. And, and it's not to say, oh, say, go around and just be nice to everybody all the time and only say building, uplifting things. No, be be transparent, but with respect, you know, with courage and consideration, but but realize that the, the influence you have. On others in, in what you decide to share with them about your observations is, is really, uh, you know, can have in a good way and in, in a damaging way, long-term lasting effects. So in another
1: chapter, you, you talked about the other practice, carry your own weather. And I was reminded about how people can have such different emotional responses to like just specific certain situations, whether like throwing someone under the bus, having a ne- negatively emotionally driven response, or like they could actually just be professional about it. And you mentioned a story about a recruiter who put a lot of time and effort into a candidate thinking like, "Hey, this candidate is the best person. It's perfect for the position." But then when they get to the hiring manager, I think they went through an interview and the the hiring manager then asked after the fact, "Hey, can you just get me a couple more candidates before we just make this decision?" What was the recruiter's response to that situation? Because I thought yeah. it was fascinating.
0: <laughs> I, I love that you brought it. His name's Aaron, actually. Yeah, Aaron. And he's our director of recruitment. And he is awesome. And in the book, I, I've changed a lot of names in some situations because the situations aren't so great. I, I, I want to be loyal to those people. But but Aaron, I proudly put his name right up there. In it was a good it. one. <laughs> yeah, this, this guy is amazing. He's our director of recruitment. And like you said, he had this candidate that several other organizations were after. And he had gone out of his way over a period of months to really woo her and recruit her. And we got down to the wire, and, and he presented her to the hiring manager, as you said. And the hiring manager thought she was great, really liked her, and said, gosh, I, I like her. I'd love to see a couple of other candidates before we make a decision. Now, I had done recruitment for many years of my life prior to the role that I'm in. And I was there, and Aaron was there when this manager said that. And seriously, I wanted to put my fist through the wall. I thought, <laughs> are you kidding me? We have a once in a lifetime chance to get this person. And Aaron, with his maturity, and he's much younger than I am, with, so it tells you something about my maturity, but <laughs> with his maturity, he, just as this practice, uh, the title is, you know, practice to his carry your own weather. He carried his own weather. And I watched him and he said, I'll call the hiring manager, Fred. And he said, sure, Fred, I can appreciate that while this is a great candidate, you need to feel like you've got the very best choice. So I'd be happy to continue looking. And I, I could, I could have been blown over at that point with, with, with how he handled that. And later on, we talked to his office and I said, Aaron, I know you report to me and I know I'm supposed to be your mentor, but I am so in such great admiration of your ability there. And he said, Todd, if in the end, Fred isn't super excited and 100% behind this candidate, they're going to, they're not going to succeed. So it's my job to find somebody that is that perfect match with Fred and who he wants and his style. And I just thought, wow, talk about wise beyond your years. But this is a perfect example of carrying your own weather. Aaron decided a long time ago, look, what's important to me? Is it important to be right? Is it important to win every argument? No, it's important in my role as the director of recruitment to to find candidates that the hiring managers are excited about. And I'm not going to let a disappointment determine my emotional response. So it was a perfect example That's why I put it in the
1: book. So if we take that same exact situation, and we put somebody else in place of Aaron, and it's an emotional response, what, what does a common person... How do they respond yeah. to that situation well, emotionally?
0: Yeah, it's a phrase that you and I and I would suspect most of the listeners out there are guilty of. And that is the phrase of he makes me so mad or she really bugs me because I you know, hold my hand up not proudly that I have said those exact words many times. And while that's a natural response, and the point here isn't to shame us all for being human, but that that is allowing the emotional weather, if you will, to dictate our response. Um, and, and you think about the phrase, it's a little bit silly, but does does he really make you mad? He made you mad. How did he make you mad? No, you chose to be frustrated or mad or angry because of, you know, some things he did and that's true. But but breaking it down and thinking about the fact that you know what, no one makes us mad. We that's a choice that we have.
1: That's an interesting way to put it cuz I was yeah. my next question to you was going to be well, how do we actually carry our own weather? But I think you just stated mm-hmm. it perfectly right there, which is it's a choice.
0: Well, it, it is a choice. And, and what I'd like to just expand on just a little bit, it's a choice that, that people, and again, I please don't anyone think that, oh, well, so you've arrived. You do all these 15 practices. Great. No, I stumble <laughs> over them all the time. We're, we're
1: human. You just made that point. We're human. <laughs> yeah, but when,
0: I, but when I am better at carrying my own weather than not, it's when I begin my day or my week or a conversation first, remembering, saying to myself or thinking to myself, what do I really value? I value this relationship. You know, if I'm going into a difficult conversation with Brandon Law, and and we're going to talk about some tough stuff, I first think to myself, look, Brandon and I worked together for a long time. I really value him as a person. Think about the experiences we've had. I value that. Let that be my guiding principle when we have this discussion. And then when we get into it and different things are said, instead of me thinking, well, that was kind of crappy, or why would you put it this way, I, while I may be irritated. At my foundation, I'm remembering that this relationship is important to me and I value relationships. And and so that's that's how that's how I recalibrate to because I get off track all the time, but recalibrate to carry my own weather by through that kind of a thought process.
1: Credibility is another point in your book just about building relationships. And you told you told a story that I want to bring up because I know listeners have gone through some sort of situation like this. You told a story of a woman who had a flat tire. Went to a mechanic who immediately said that she needed to purchase four new tires because the tread was all off on the tires. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She she then was probably taken aback by the thousand dollar price tag, but didn't purchase it right away, but talked to, to talked, I think, to a family member if I remember right. Yeah, her brother-in-law. Her mm-hmm. brother-in-law, who suggested, hey, go see this guy. He's a another mechanic. He'll he'll you know, he'll give you another second opinion. And she went and saw him and he told her, hey, you don't need to purchase any tires. Let's shave down the tread, match the other tires. It'll be like 200 bucks versus the $1,000. And right. I just thought it was interesting because it's situations like these where you could gain or lose credibility depending on which side you come out on. The yes. one one mechanic decided, hey, I can make a quick buck or maybe just didn't have the great the knowledge, the knowledge yeah. to to make that choice and the other mechanics like hey let's look at the long term approach here you you need to save some money and he probably gained a customer long term so talk about those two different outcomes yeah. and how one mechanic maybe built credibility and one lost it
0: well, first of all, thank you for reading the book. I love that you're bringing up all these stories that I'm so passionate about. And that, that I, I can't remember the name I gave or if I even did give the person the name of the book, but that's a really, one of my best friends, her name is Lee. And this, this was absolutely, word for word, exactly what you shared it happened. And, and you, you, you just said the magic word, and that is the long-term view. Credibility requires us, if we really want to establish and build on, on an ongoing basis, um, sincere credibility. It's taking the long-term view, not the quick win, not the quick thousand bucks that the, the one guy – and I don't want to demonize him. Like you said, he may sure. not have had – and it might have been she. I don't know if he or she – I, 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 I can fix my car the other day. But anyway, they, um, they, they may not have had the knowledge to do that. But, but credibility, there are, there are three things I'd, I'd love to share quickly with your, with your listeners. First of all, credibility is built on a foundation of two important things, and that's character and competence both character and confidence. And one doesn't compensate for the other. Um, you know, I could I could be the nicest guy, your best friend, Brandon. I remember your birthday. I remember your kids' names. Our, we do a lot of things together. But when I offer to pack your parachute for your first skydiving lesson, you know, I can have all the quote unquote character in the world, but you probably want to know how much parachute packing experience I have. <laughs> None, by the way. So, so it takes confidence. But on the other hand, it might be concerning to you to learn that the person who did pack your parachute had just been acquitted of maybe a manslaughter charge because of a technicality you know so mm-hmm. so if something about her or his character is off there's a question there so it takes both character and competence and exactly what you said it's the long term view even when you have both of those if you're if you're trying to establish credibility overnight it doesn't happen you take the long term view because it's behavior way to credibility. That's the name of the practice. And it takes time. It doesn't come with a title. It doesn't come just because I know how to how to you know buy one new tire instead of the, the four and shape the treads down and all that. It comes because I earn it over time, just like the second mechanic did. And and while he lost out on an opportunity immediately, he knows that my friend Lee and others that she tells and she's told a lot of people will certainly go back to this person who knows what he's doing and is honest and has high character in the process.
1: So translating this to like the workplace when you're dealing with people on a regular basis. So building credibility, we got the character side, which, you know, being nice to people, being mm-hmm. friendly, being there for them when when, honest, they, when they need thoughtful. you, honest, yep. thoughtful, you know, having the integrity, all those things. And then the competence is, you know, working on yourself, developing, uh, knowing, that, you know, having the answers or, say, or even exactly. saying, you, or even saying you don't know instead of faking it. I don't yeah. know, like, I feel like those things over time, you do them enough and you could build credibility. And I think that's your point in the book.
0: It, it, that's exactly right. It becomes your brand. It becomes who you are. We had in, in the workplace, we had two consultants. We obviously frankly, we do a lot of consulting. We had two consultants working on a major project together for several months with one particular client. And the client was then going to move forward with one of the consultants just for a longer term project where they only needed one of the consultants. And and they chose one. And the other consultant that was not selected. came and talked to me and told me how frustrated they were. And I said, now, now, help me understand what your frustration, they only had a spot for one. Yeah, but why would they have chosen that person over me? I'm, you know, I went out of my way, I bought them gifts, I did all these things, and, and they were also a really good consultant. They were you know, just really things that they did, but they were, they were heavy, heavy, heavy on the character. And the other person they went with had great character, but also had continually been reinvesting in herself, and learning, and, and, and upping her competencies, because more than this other consultant. So it's, yeah, one doesn't compensate... An over amount of one doesn't compensate for the other two.
1: Credibility takes time. I love it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So some people want it instantaneously, and it just—it's just not. Happen. We all do. <laughs> we yeah. all
0: do, don't we? <laughs> and I think that's what a
1: lot of a lot of like college grads—they come out of, and, and get into the workplace, and they immediately think, "Hey, I should be credible. I got a degree and all that." Mm-hmm. And say, but mm-hmm. it's like, oh, but you just—you don't have the experience yet, and it's—it sucks to hear that. I think, but well, it's because their
0: parents, when they were little kids, were telling them how wonderful they were. No, I'm huh. kidding. <laughs> to, hey, there's to tie some back to your earlier. There is some truth. <laughs> hey, trophy <laughs>
1: generation. I'm, I'm, actually, <laughs> I'm actually part of it. <laughs> um, so I got to say, I love the section about see the tree and not just the seedling. Paint the picture for listeners. You had a lot of good stories. What did you mean by that?
0: Yeah, yeah thanks. Thanks. Practice five is see the tree, not just the seedling. This is all about seeing potential in others. You know, I, um, just, just a real quick story, I don't need much time, but on my 35th day of employment with what was then called the Covey Leadership Center, before Covey Leadership and Franklin Quest had merged to become Franklin Covey. My 35th day of employment at the Covey Leadership Center, a woman who had hired me, her name was Pam, I was the recruitment manager, and she walked me up after a team meeting or leadership meeting. She walked me up to one of the senior leaders of the company who I had not met during the interview process. His name was Bob, and she said, Bob, I'd like you to meet Todd Davis. Now, i have been there 35 days. She goes, I'd like you to meet Todd Davis. And then she said, let me tell you what Todd has done and accomplished during his first 35 days of employment. Brandon, I thought I was going to pass out. I thought, what is she going to say? I couldn't think of one thing I had done in 35 days, and I was shaking his hand and terrified at the same time. And then she went on to say... He filled this position in Chicago that's been vacant for so many months. He put together a recruitment strategy for the next year. He's got a relocation policy in place. And this list went on and on. And please, no, I'm not sharing that with you to say, wasn't I cool? Or aren't you, you know, aren't I I all that? I'm telling you that because I remember that day, which was, gosh, 21 plus years ago, like it was yesterday. I don't remember day 34. I don't remember day 36. But I remember that because in that moment, he communicated to me that I could do anything, that she just thought the world of me. And so what did I do the next four or five years that I worked for her? I spent all my time making sure I did not disappoint her. The late uh, Dr. Stephen R. Covey, who was you the know, best-selling author of Seven Habits and many other books and the founder or co-founder of, of our company, he said, leadership is communicating to people their worth and potential so clearly that they come to see to themselves. And that phrase has stuck with me. It's in, and, and you don't have to be in, a, in an official leadership position. The leader, leadership is a choice, not a position. So we can all be leaders. We can all communicate to colleagues, to family members, to others, their worth and potential and clearly that they come to seed in themselves. That's exactly what Pam did for me that day. And that's what seeing the tree, not just the seedling, is all about.
1: Yeah, and I loved it because I think you brought up the even the concept of coaching in this in this practice where, you know, maybe somebody's having performance issues, maybe something's going on, but like we don't that person it doesn't mean like they're always going to be that way. We maybe we just need to coach them on a couple of things and as a manager and as a leader, you need to you need to see that the potential in them, and so how do you split up the the point where maybe the, it's not correctable, or maybe they they do have limiting potential versus you actually spend the time and coach
0: them. Yeah, it's a, such a great point you bring up, and I I, uh, I guess fortunately or unfortunately have these conversations not often but occasionally had one just the other day with a person that we have in a role here who's a good person, great character. It's not about them as a person. It's about them being a match for the role. Mm. And in those situations where, you know, quote the phrase from Jim Collins, we've got the person, the wrong, maybe the wrong person or at least the right person but in the wrong seat on the bus, we have a very transparent discussion. And and it it does, first and foremost, not just to be nice, but because it's true, saying, gosh, you've got so much great potential. You've got many great strengths. In my experience, this is what I would say or have said, in my experience, my 21 years here, I see this being a wrong skill set for what we're trying to accomplish. I could be wrong, and here's what you would need to do to show us, you know, behavior rate credibility, <laughs> you need to show us that you can do it, but I want to bring to your attention, you, your manager, and I want to bring to your attention that here's where we see the gap. Again, you are you are a great person full of tons of potential. We think this may be the wrong match here. Um, here's what it would need to look like for you to, you know, to, to make it successful. And if not, let's look for other opportunities either within the company or help you transition out to something else. So that's a very sincere conversation that I have had many times in my life with really good people who are misaligned with the role that they're in.
1: For those familiar with Stephen R. Covey's work uh, and on the emotional bank account concept, um, you brought up a really interesting story where... I'm going to butcher the names or I'm sorry, I wouldn't okay. even say the names. <laughs> they probably but made up there, names to protect they, the yeah. anyway. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so there's one person who receives a phone call from an old friend. It's like, hey, it's so good to talk with. me. We should catch up. And mm-hmm. at the very end of the conversation, you know, feeling good about it, they're going to reconnect, a lifelong friend. And the person who was calling and wanting to reconnect just said, hey, your, your uncle, he can give me tickets can you see if he can hook me up with what and so I think that person who's on the receiving end had an immediate withdrawal from that emotional bank account. Just like, really? You're gonna you're gonna pull this mm-hmm. on me? And mm-hmm. I just think, you know, pulling the carpet from underneath us, that that just hurts the emotional bank account big time.
0: Exactly. Well so the person was me that received oh, the it's call. Oh. a <laughs> person. Yeah, which is fine. I'm just smiling because the because I'll tell you, the person was me that received the call. A friend that I used to work with in another company, hadn't talked to forever, called me. We we were really close in this other company. We laughed and talked for, you know, fifteen minutes. And then it was at the end of the and I was thinking, how great that you oh, reached so out and nice. we're reconnecting. And then at the end of the conversation, he, he said, and I'll, I'll change this part of the story, but he, he said, hey, does your, soul, does your uncle still get uh, discount tickets for the friends and family thing at this, at this uh, store? And I thought, in my mind, I thought, wow, that was the reason you really called me, isn't yep, it? So yep. it felt like a, a manipulative deposit, so to speak, yes. or withdrawal in the emotional bank account that Stephen talks about. But I'll tell you something, Brandon, it got me thinking, and, and maybe we're not all guilty of this, I have been before. I need to ask somebody that I haven't talked to for a long time, whether I, I need a question or something. I think they'll only know. Like, I don't think that I'd call them for a favor like that, but, but something, and I'm a little bit embarrassed that I'm reaching out only when I have a question for them, That I haven't reached out just to connect with them, see how they're going and doing. And so I have been, you know, and I'm not proud of this. I will call somebody and kind of make small talk. So that they don't think, Oh, well, so the only reason you call me is when you need something. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but after that happened to me with this, with this, with his friend. And if he's listening, tell me who he is. And, and we've since, you know, connected several times. But, but when that did happen to me, it did get me thinking about, gosh, we're the most important relationships in your life, Todd? And what are you doing to stay connected with them on a regular basis? Not just when you need a favor.
1: Absolutely. And so you brought up, and this is a good segue, you brought up the, the idea of taking stock of your emotional bank accounts. Mm-hmm. So how do you recommend doing that? Because it sounded like you you that was a, an aha moment. You had to go through a situation where somebody with tickle a withdrawal out of your emotional bank account. So that caused you to say, wow, what am I doing in my relationships? And that's how you took stock. How do you recommend other people do yeah. that?
0: Uh, you're right, that was a great segue I didn't mean to come up with, but the whole, the whole premise of the book, Get Better, 15 Proven Practices to Build Effective Relationships at Work, is built on the fact that we can spend all of our time, like many of us do, pointing the finger, you know, I wish so-and-so would do this, or she makes me so mad, or if he'd only do this, or, if my boss, if my wife, if my husband, whatever, and, and we can do that, and maybe they do need to make all these improvements but the most influential effective and quite frankly the happiest people in life are those people who look in the mirror every day and start with themselves and say what do i need to do differently what do i need to model differently so taking stock of your emotional bank accounts is looking at the most important relationships in your life and saying wait a minute what what amount of deliberate intent am i intentions am i am i spending on those important relationships and are my deposits quote unquote are they sincere? Are they from the heart? Or are they unintentionally somewhat manipulative? You know, am I making unintentional withdrawals from someone? Sometimes we, we tend to make unintentional withdrawals, especially with per- people in our personal life and our family members, because I believe it's, you know, we feel like, well, there's this kind of contract there. I mean, they're not going to stop being my family. Whereas, you know, we're, we're, we tend to be, in some cases, not all, but in some cases, more respectful and more deliberate about showing respect at work than we do in our personal lives because we think, well, like, gosh, I need people at work to like me so I keep my job or so I get promoted or whatever. But at home, if I if I kind of go on autopilot, so to speak, and I'm not that cautious about an, an unintentional withdrawal, they're my family. They're not going to or my loved ones. They're not going to leave me. And you know, it's a big mistake. I think we need to focus on what, what deliberate deposits – Am I trying to make on a continual basis? And emotional bank account is about making small, consistent deposits over time, not being a jerk for so long and then doing some really nice thing and and pretending that that's going to make up for it.
1: In another one of your practices, you said, talk less, listen more. And it was funny because just the other day, I was listening to a podcast and somebody was telling a story about... Uh, a very influential executive uh, investor i think would come to these like really important board meetings and would say like zero the the entire time except for mm-hmm. they may drop a line and it was just like a the bomb they just whatever they said was so profound thoughtful and i just was like that's interesting because on the other side of it, like when I'm in meetings, I'm like, if I'm not saying something or trying to insert every once in a while, I feel like I'm not contributing whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask mm-hmm. you, like you you bring up this point, talk less, less, and more. How do we do that without feeling the way I feel? Yeah.
0: No, I, I think you identified something that we've all felt before. If, if we're in meetings and, and other people are saying things and they're saying really wise things, you're thinking, gosh, i got to come up with something. Like yeah, that. like so you, you want to contribute. And, uh, yeah, and that's, you know, these practices are all intertied because there's another practice called examine your real motives. Mm. And is my motive and my intent here to be smart and to be seen as smart, or is it to really contribute? We have, it, it's, it's you know, everybody's different, so I don't know that there's one one pat answer that's right for everybody. But I think you do really need to, to understand what your real motive is in this, in this topic of talking less and listening more. Do you listen with the intent to understand or are you listening with the intent to reply? Am I, am I listening? That's the question that I ask myself. Am I, am I listening so that I can come up with something really smart to say so that I'm seen as smart or am I listening so that I really understand the issue or the opportunity and then after thoughtful consideration, I can make a contribution. Our, our CFO, and I'll, I'll, I'll feel free to, to show that because he's such a talented person named Steve, so talented. And he's one of those people that you just described that doesn't talk very much in our meetings. He's the CFO of the company. He's the CEO's right-hand person. Mm -hmm. And we're all talking and putting in our two cents. And I don't think it's all to look smart. I think we're all trying to contribute. And then when everybody's done on a particular topic, our CEO, Bob, will turn to Steve and say, Steve, what are your thoughts? Hmm. Because Steve is that person who has been listening intently with the, you know, trying to understand. And then Steve will say something like, you know, the grand poobah on the mountain. He'll say something so wise and so thoughtful and and with such humility. It will always be, well, you know, I've been listening and I'm sure I don't have the right answer, but it seems to me. And then he'll go on and it's just you you talk about behaving your way to credibility. The the guy has so much credibility because of that style. Now, that's not to say, you know, I I talk a lot as your listeners have now experienced and, and I don't. I'm not talking a lot to be smart. I'm talking a lot because that's my style. So this isn't to say that the only good people are smart people are those that don't talk in meetings and then say one final thing at the end, but, but it's just really understanding what, what it is that you're trying to accomplish. Are you listening to understand and then contribute, or are you listening to reply and then just talk?
1: I want to bring up one last concept, then I'll let you go. I've, I've. Taken a lot of your time. I'm sure listeners are just loving it. Um, oh, I appreciate. It. I'm really passionate about. <laughs> that's this, so good. Thanks
0: for the opportunity.
1: So one of the one of the books I read when I first got in the corporate world was The Speed of Trust. And what I got from that book was that you're better off extending trust because things can happen a lot faster. People communicate a lot easier. And just business gets done, and I think relationships build. Uh, mm-hmm. it's a really foundational piece. But I think a lot of people are afraid to extend trust, whether they've been burned in the past, or you know they're they're not trusting a big business, their employer, people around them, because they think they're they've ulterior motives. How do you what do you say to people who are afraid to extend the trust?
0: Yeah, stop that! No, I'm kidding. <laughs> stop I, uh, that. Yeah, one of my one of my good friends and colleagues here, uh, she and I, I, I think I give this example in the book. If I remember correctly. She she tells a story of when her she was in the car with her her two sisters, three the three of them, three daughters, and their mom and dad and her mother. I don't know what the situation was. It was many years ago. Her mother turned to her and said, "I want you three to know something: that the only people you are to ever trust are in this car right now." Hmm. And my friend said, boy, it's taking me, you know, we talked earlier about when things are, you know, how you shape your paradigms and the glasses that you wear. And she said, it's taken me years. And while I have a a very loving mother and father and have huge respect for them, and, and her mother probably had good reason for that in that moment saying that, she said, it took me a long time to kind of break out of that and learn that, no, others actually can be trusted, but it is a balance. You can choose to say, well, I'll trust you once you earn my trust or... No, I'm going to trust you until you break my trust. And that sounds like a simple thing. It's a huge differentiator. So, The Speed of Trust, best selling book, awesome book. Stephen M. R. Covey is such an incredible author and
1: leader. It's is a great book. His, yeah,
0: yeah. His premise is lean on, the, lean on the side of having a propensity to trust, mm. not blind trust, not, go, not being taken advantage of. It's, totally. I, yeah. A person I worked with many years ago, brilliant person. Super talented on the competency side, man. This guy's off the charts. But he, he never said it this way. that he lived with this no, notion that no, I trust no one, and you earn your trust by me. And mm. and as brilliant as he was, no one wanted to work with him. Yeah, that's uh, limited, the for sure. Yeah. yeah. In yeah. fact, there's there's such a great quote that John Wooden uses, but it's from Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln. I have on my desk guys Abraham Lincoln said, and I just want to for a little bit. He said, "It's better to trust." and be disappointed once in a while than to distrust and be miserable all the time. And I have that on my desk as just a mantra to say, look, assume the best in people. Don't be dumb. Don't be taken advantage of. If you've seen things that would cause you to have suspicion, certainly be aware of those things. But in general, when things are kind of neutral starting out, lean on the side of having a propensity to trust. And yep, you'll get disappointed once in a while, but if, but if you do that, you'll gain far more than the person who, who
1: doesn't trust them. Todd, if you could recommend how people should use your book, whether they're an employee, a parent, a manager, CEO, whatever, how do you recommend people use your book? Because it's it's got so many nuggets in it. And I, I want to hear from the, the author himself, how should people actually read well, it and use it?
0: Thanks for asking. I, I find that the people who have been most successful at using my book is First of all, they buy 10,000 copies, and they give those copies to all of their friends. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I don't know I that many
1: people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I bet you do. Um, no, it's a great question. I find the book The book begins, each chapter, each practice, so to speak, begins with a couple of questions. So you could really go to any chapter and say, oh, that title seems interesting, carry your own weather. And then the question there is, you know, do other people determine your emotional weather? Or do you ever find that your mood is controlled by others? The circumstances or or some of your own knee-jerk reactions. So each chapter begins with a couple of questions. So you could really go anywhere, but what I would recommend, highly recommend, is that you start with chapter or practice one. Wear glasses that work. As we said earlier, the way we see things, the way we see things, determines everything we do, including the way we look at any of the other 14 practices. So I would say get the book, read practice one first, wearing glasses that work, just to make sure we have on. Or we're aware of the lenses that we are looking through, and then you know you could read it start to finish, or go through any of the practices in any order that that makes the most sense to you based on what you might be struggling with or the opportunities you might have. The last practice in the book, uh, I would I would make sure you read if you don't read all the chapters, and that is start with humility, mm-hmm. practice fifteen, and I purposefully took it, put it put at the end of the book just to kind of in a in a metaphorical way remind us all that. Having humility. Humility is the greatest strength we can develop, especially in the business world. People view sometimes humility as a weakness. It's absolutely the greatest strength. You know, reflecting back to our CFO, uh, just one example of this gentleman who is so wise and because of his humble nature, absorbs it all in, listens all in, looks at where he could really add value and doesn't let his ego get in the way. Like some of us do, I've I got to talk. I got to contribute. I got to say this before somebody else does. Start with humility. You think of the greatest, most influential—not just leaders, but people in your life and throughout time—they have a foundation of humility, and it's, it's it's critical. So, so that's how I would recommend uh, going about reading the book.
1: Your book comes out November seventh, two thousand seventeen, hardback or hardcover, Kindle, yes. Audible.
0: Yep, too? I finished. Yeah, that was a fun did, experience. Did you I do it, that did you do it? I did. Yes, I, did. I figured so you
1: would. You have good, uh, good voice. So I, a, well,
0: I, 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 I think just the opposite. I had to listen to my voice for gosh, four days of recording, like eight hours. So anyway, but uh, but yes, yeah, there recording.
1: is an Oh, audio you've got to be exhausted
0: recording. from that. So well, I, it was, it was interesting, but uh, glad we got the opportunity to do it.
1: I'll have to check out that version of it. That that sounds interesting. Good. Yeah. Well, anything else you want to mention before we part ways? I, I, I really appreciate your wealth of knowledge and uh, this book is great. I love it.
0: Well, you you flatter me, Brandon. I appreciate the, your time. I appreciate you reaching out to have me participate and I appreciate all of the listeners. And and I, I guess I just would end with this. We we all have frustrations and challenges and challenging people and relationships in our life, but If we focus on our relationships, it sounds like a nice thing to do. It's it's an imperative. It's it's an imperative. It's a critical thing to do because because all of us, unless you are, I don't know, a pro golfer or maybe you run a company where you are the only employee of that company, the rest of us get our, um, our results with and through other people. And so we're measured by our results. In the end, all of us are measured by the results we get. We get our results with and through other people. And other people are really difficult to change or even influence. And those who focus on their relationships, building effective relationships, they start with themselves. They're the most influential, effective people there are. so so that would be my parting shot. <laughs> love it.
1: Well, Todd Davis, thank you so much for being part of the podcast. i'm I know I'm better from this conversation, and I, I appreciate you.
0: Well, so am I. Thank you, Brandon.
1: Thanks for listening to the Human Resources for Small Business podcast. Subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our blog at www.zeniumhr.com forward slash blog and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn to hear about the latest in HR and leadership. The information on today's episode is for educational purposes only and should not be taken as legal or customized advice for you or your organization. This podcast is hosted and fully produced by Brandon Laws, that's me, and created and owned by Zenium Resources, Inc. For more information or to contact us, visit www.zeniumhr.com.